Hello. On behalf of the Independent Research Forum, welcome to this IRF podcast. I am David Osman, and with me today is Peter Warburton of Economic Perspectives. Our subject for this podcast is the outlook for inflation, the impact of regime change. The Independent Research Forum promotes a wide range of the best independent research providers from around the world, both macro and micro, some stock pickers, some sector specific, some country specific, many global, and all are investment related. Given the ongoing massive impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on government policies, I'm particularly pleased that we are joined today by Peter Warburton, who is the founder of Economic Perspectives and their chief economist. Peter has a long and distinguished career as a leading economist in the financial sector, previously working for prominent firms such as Robert Fleming and Lehman Brothers. He has been a member of the IEA's Shadow Monetary Policy Committee since its inception in 1997. He is also Managing Director of Halkin Services Limited, a global risk analysis and asset allocation service. In 1999, Peter's book, Debt and Delusion, Central Bank Follies That Threaten Economic Disaster, was published by Alan Lane, the Penguin Press. The book provides a critical analysis of the uses and abuses of debt in the global financial system, and I would contend that it is even more relevant today than it was when it was written in the 1990s. Founded in 1996, Economic Perspectives is an independent global macro-financial research company which provides valuable investment insights to asset managers and other investment professionals. Peter, welcome. First of all, let's begin with a brief introduction to the Economic Perspectives service and the way that you analyse what is happening in the world today. Well, thank you, David, and thank you for a kind introduction. Yes, Economic Perspectives um, is designed um, to challenge conventional thinking. Um, its objective is to bring empirical observation to bear. Um, we pride ourselves that we, we're, we're, not, we're eclectic in our thinking, that we're, we're not... Uh, wedded to a particular school of economic thought, Keynesian, monetarist, um, Austrian, uh, or whatever, that we are happy to take the insights of uh, different economic schools of thought to, to bear, but essentially not to hide in an ivory tower of economic thought, but to bring to bear um, what is actually happening and what and what is impacting upon uh, the, the decision makers in the uh, investment management asset and asset allocation industries. Um, so, so, so we're interested in what works. We're interested in what's happening, and we're interested in understanding what's changing. Uh, our flagship flagship product uh, for the last couple of years has been our market focus document. Uh, this is the place where. Our global macro themes intersect with practical market contexts and applications. 
and, and every month we review uh, our selection of favoured assets, introducing new ideas and um, edging out uh, previous ones. So, so basically, just to be absolutely clear, um, these are illustrations of the application of our global macro themes and ideas. They're not trading recommendations or solicitations to trade. Um, so we follow up the market focus each month um, with a podcast lasting about uh, eight to ten minutes uh, for those uh, who prefer to digest information um, in that way. Um, we also maintain um, two other publications, a global inflation perspective and a global credit perspective, uh, where um, we, we weave uh, two broad narratives. Uh, bearing in mind that it's our credit perspective that really drives our, our real growth trajectory uh, for, for the global economy. Um, and finally, the, the, we, we complement these products uh, with uh, some observational products, which, which are quarterly global GDP heat maps, where we survey the national accounts of 53 countries and put it all into a neat format. Um, and then we do a monthly global uh, inflation heat maps as well. Uh, so, so basically, those are our two observational products. We also do slide packs, uh, typically once a month, um, on a context. And and finally, twice a year, we were doing real uh, physical seminars uh, at the Inholders Hall in London. Sadly, we've had to revert to, to webinars. So twice a year, we put our, our heads above the parapet and, and to, to try and, and be even more controversial about what we think is happening in the world. Yes, Peter, I, I miss those well-attended breakfast uh, seminars of yours and look forward to when we can have them again. I think you're in, in, in an ideal position to answer my first question, which is, will high public debt ratios damage economic growth in the light of the gaping fiscal deficits triggered by COVID-19? Yes, we... We published a piece of work about uh, several a month ago, um, revisiting the um, the Reinhardt Rogoff um, analysis. Um, remember that they they in, in the uh, these are two prominent Harvard economists, and and back in 2010 um, they identified or believed they had identified a, a critical threshold or tipping point for government indebtedness. Um, they asserted that once uh, public debt exceeds 90% of gross domestic product, economic growth um, drops off quite sharply. And, um, and clearly that the, this, uh, this thesis uh, coming from such eminent uh, economists um, was taken as a significant uh, platform um, and justification for uh, what people have termed fiscal austerity programs, um, the means by which governments brought their uh, public finances into some kind of order after the disruption of the global financial crisis. So now obviously a lot of water has, has flowed under the bridge. A lot of, of their empirical work has been shown to be flawed. Um, and and if you like the, the, the premise of their analysis has been undermined significantly. However, what we did um, in revisiting, re-exploring the data um, and, and obviously absorbing the, the information uh, of the past decade as well, 
um, was was actually we, we we found that there was some good news um, as well as, as some bad news. Um, I mean the the, the good news um, basically is that while high and rising public debt ratios, which obviously are now exploding beyond the territory that we thought uh, credible even 10 years ago, that these high and rising debt ratios, um, they, they provided, um, well, let's say while they're high and rising, um, then I think that there are concerns definitely still that, that uh, future economic growth is slow. However, if they're high but declining, so in other words, as soon as the dynamic changes, um, that association with slower growth disappears. So that's good news. Um, also, clearly, the, the average interest rate on public debt matters, and specifically, if it remains below nominal GDP growth, um, then this allows the pace of fiscal normalization um, to be gradual and and modest budget deficits can be sustained without serious consequence. However, the, the bad news um, is that peacetime accumulations of public debt are, are much harder to wear down than wartime accumulations, uh, which typically have a, have a, a lot of, um, of, of natural correctives when, when wartime turns to peace. But in peacetime, you require deliberate acts of fiscal responsibility. And uh, I think the concern in the wake of COVID-19 um, is that it will be extremely difficult um, to institute uh, anything resembling fiscal responsibility. Uh, and as long as there are um, obviously great concerns over public health, um, then this interruption to economic activity um, will, will continue. And that will deprive the public coffers of the vital tax revenues that they rely upon for fiscal uh, normalization. Um, furthermore, I, I think that, that we are pressing into a scenario of something called fiscal dominance, whereby monetary discipline is eroded and inflationary risks multiply. So our conclusion basically is that I would turn Reinhardt Rogoff on its head in the current circumstances and say that really it's the inflationary consequences that we should be more, more concerned about than the growth consequences. And, and Peter, you're also, I think, concerned about abundant QE, quantitative easing, and whether that gives a false impression of fiscal space? Yes, absolutely. The, the, um, the willingness of central banks to grow their balance sheets, and obviously there's a big debate about how much scope there really is for them to do that, but uh, we've got countries like Switzerland and Japan, which have, uh, have really um, extended the boundaries of what we, we thought was possible in terms of central bank size. So um, uh, US and Europe uh, clearly, in that sense, have a lot more scope to increase the, the size uh, of QE. Um, but the, the, the problem with QE is, is obviously that, that it, uh, it absorbs um, large quantities of government borrowing, and it gives a false impression um, of what we call fiscal space. In other words, the um, uh, you know the, the, the reasonable and prudent scope uh, for relaxing fiscal policy um, in, in, in in the scope of, of, of a, well, outside the scope of the crisis. Um, so I, I, I think the, uh, the, the 
the, the problem uh, remains that um, central bank balance sheets um, are to some extent uh, a wild card um, in, in the early 2000s. They weren't associated with, with a rise in inflation um, because in, in a sense they were airbags um, for the implosion of private sector financial balance sheets, particularly in the context of, of securitization. Um, but we, we haven't seen that dynamic this time. Private financial balance sheets haven't imploded. Um, and instead of being an airbag, um, uh, th th this is now a net expansion of the, the, the nominal balance sheets of the financial system. And in that sense, it's much more credible to see an inflationary outcome. Peter, you, you regularly publish heat maps for GDP and for inflation, which cover, I think, over 40 countries. And I'm wondering, what are they indicating about the outlook for economic growth and inflation in major developed economies and the main emerging markets? Yes, obviously, the, the heat maps are a historical record, um, but I think they, they do often contain clues uh, to, to the way that things will unfold. Um, I think this is a, a very difficult time for government statistical offices. Um, and it's clear that different, in different countries, different decisions have been made, particularly um, in the way in which government output has been treated. Um, so, for example, in the UK, we, we actually have a, a massive uh, gap between uh, the, uh, the, the drop in nominal GDP um, in, in the peak crisis quarter of Q2 versus real GDP. So, so actually nominal GDP has not fallen as dramatically as, as real GDP, and partly because the, um, uh, the, the, the real GDP, as it were, of the government sector um, ha has been taken to be quite depressed because of the reduced levels of activity um, by in education and health during the, the lockdown. So um, what we have actually is a massive um, GDP inflation um, in Q2, because partly because of this gap. But it's not only because of, of, of the public sector, I think. So, so what I'm getting to really is that um, the way that, that we interpret um, the dramatic changes in recent months um, will, will have a big impact on, on what we see as as reported inflation. But one thing's sure is that GDP inflation uh, looks significantly higher than consumer price inflation. And um, uh, this will take some time to resolve, but it, it looks it looks as though um, CPI inflation is doing us uh, something of a disservice um, in, in describing um, the, the, the current situation. Peter, in your flagship market focus publication that comes out every month, you identify your favourite asset ideas, and I wondered which assets you particularly favour at the present time. Well, thanks, David. Well, um, it's really quite a, uh, an odd bunch in a way, because I, I think we, we don't really feel confident in, in a very broad sense to, to recommend um, you know, mainstream 
um, equity markets uh, or, or indeed um, government bond markets. So um, examples of, of assets that we favoured. Um, so we, we returned to uh, favouring uh, US uh, single family uh, REITs. Uh, we, we think there's this uh, scope for a further uh, rebound in, in the US um, housing market. And uh, um, obviously, if, if, if Biden were to win the presidential election, this could mean a tax break for first time buyers. So there's, there's some optionality, I think, in, in, uh, in this idea. Um, global miners, um, I think, have now uh, confirmed a, a, a sort of a bullish trend after horrendous uh, um, uh, period of underperformance uh, culminating in 2016. Um, so they, they remain on our, our list. Um, and we, we expect, and this is a long-standing um, idea, um, that despite what we see as forces of financial repression, that the US yield curve um, will, will steepen in the segment from two to 10 years. Peter, thank you for this superb insight into the service that is provided by Economic Perspectives. With more time, it would be interesting to discuss in more detail all of the various countries that are covered by your heat map analysis of economic growth and inflation. In addition, it would be good to hear more about your assessment of the outlook for fiscal and monetary policies, for debt ratios and for global financial markets as the COVID-19 pandemic evolves in the future. The Independent Research Forum is offering a one-month free trial to the Economic Perspective Service and can provide details of how to subscribe to the full service. More information is available on request from the Independent Research Forum. Thank you for listening to this IRF podcast with Peter Warburton of Economic Perspectives. <laughs>